All right, so we are starting a brand new series, so if this is your first time with us, you picked a great morning to join in as we jump into a brand new series called The Weight of Your Words, and, uh, and as I was thinking about this um, this last week and kind of preparing, basically, I just feel like um, I'm going to get up here and preach to myself, and if you want to listen in and if it's helpful for you, great. But, uh, but I feel like I've got a lot to learn um, in this regard. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I, I've been thinking a lot about um, why is it that it seems like the temperature in our nation or the temperature in our culture just kind of keeps creeping up and up and up and the angst that we have towards one another and, and the, you know, what was maybe at one time a low-grade anger is kind of quickly moving to a mid-grade anger, and I'm afraid of where uh, this is all going to go. And, uh, and, and honestly, in all different arenas um, of life, I, I'm witnessing this, this happen, and, and there's, it's multifaceted, I think, of why it's happening. I mean, it used to be that uh, we would get our news, you know, via the newspaper, and in our case, in rural Nebraska, once a week, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, that happened three weeks ago. Okay, well, that's all. That's over. Um, and now, it's like immediate, right? And not only is it immediate, but the, there, there's competition for your attention, and, and in the competition for your attention, um, people have realized the best way for, for, to get your attention is to cause some angst, is to continue to have continual kind of angst. And so there's, there's this perpetual, you know, deal online to where, you know, these titles are all, you know, outrage and and, and, and all of these, you know, hyperbole words that are over the top that make us want to click on whatever they're trying to tell us so that we will read their material. And so, um, as, a, as a result, it's like there's angst over here, and so some of us, you know, we onboard some of the emotion from whatever it was that we read that wasn't right, and somebody nana nana dan and then did this to them and said that I can't believe that, and then you're carrying that, and then you see that, and you're carrying that, and we have we have access now to where it used to be in the newspaper we you know what you read like three stories, okay, well now we have thousands of stories and we're scrolling through the stories and and angst here and angst there and angst over here and. And pretty soon we're just we're kind of amped up and and we've kind of gotten to a place where we are moving away from a Judeo-Christian value system where we we just give respect to one another. That was this kind of a value that we would not only demand respect in in, in our homes and, and in our parenting, but then we would give one another respect. And in that respect, we wouldn't say some things that maybe we wanted to say, but out of respect, we wouldn't say them, that's gone. Now it's just kind of like, you know what, I'm just being real. Well, you're not just being real, you're being rude. And, and, and criticism is like, you know what, uh, the floodgates are open. If you want to criticize, by all means, and you start reading through the comments, it's like, like I'm telling you, I can't watch any of the post-game uh, Husker 
video chat. I, I, I can't, I, I just can't even do it. It's just like, I realize we are, we have struggled for a long time, but it's bizarre to me how critics that predicted Michigan would win the game are now angry as all get out, kick the coach out, and the players, and that, and that, and that. Why? Because Michigan won the game. Well, that's what you said was going to happen. But we got to find a way, and and it's like it's coming out in, in our sports world. This anger is coming out in our sports world in ways that's just like, what is going on? It's like this, uh, this Colorado player that, that uh, got hit a couple of weeks ago um, by a, a Colorado State player, and, and it, it was a penalty, but you, you, you watch the game, and you watch the replay, and it's kind of like, you know, I, there was a day and a time when that wouldn't have been a penalty at all, but, you know, um, that guy has been receiving death threats for a couple of weeks. In fact, the two players finally just got together and said to everybody on social media, chill out. Just chill out. Like, what in the world is going on? See, the weight of our words is heavy. And and the thing is that sometimes I don't know if we realize how much weight our words have. And sometimes um, I don't know if we realize, uh, you know, how our words are received on the other side. So, let me, let me ask you this as we kind of get started. What comes easier for you, criticism or encouragement? <laughs> no elbows, no elbows. So if, if you're in the uh, encouragement camp, um, you're, you might be there all by yourself. I don't know. Um, and if you're like, uh, I think it's criticism, but I'm not sure I'm the only one, I guarantee you, you're not the only one right? When we kind of gravitate towards criticism, and why is that? Why is it that with our words, we tend to gravitate towards criticism over encouragement? And, and think back for just a second, because when you think of the people in your past, how much did their words shape your outlook on you and your outlook on others? Whether it was a, a parent, whether it was a, a teacher, whether it was a coach, when you, when you look back in your past, how much of, of the way that you see the world and the way you see God and the way you view yourself and the way you see others, how much of that was shaped through the words of other people? See... <clears throat> You got to ask yourself, and, and in this series, we're going to do a lot of self-awareness and self-evaluation. What's it like? And I've asked you this question before, but specifically when it comes to your words, what's it like to be other, on the other side of you? You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what, what, what's it like to, to hear when... Eric is speaking to me. What, what, what's it like, Eric? What's it like to be on the, on the other side of you? You ever ask yourself, what's it like to be? Well, I wonder what it's like to be on the other side of me. A- am I more encouraging or more criticizing? And 
And are you more constructive or are you more destructive? And, and in that process of self-awareness, which I'm telling you can be, you know, it can be extremely difficult because when you're brutally honest with yourself, I, I, I would tend to think, you know, I know me for myself, um, there's, there's, there's something on the other side of me that must be kind of weird or harsh or something. I don't know because um, inevitably, and I, I asked when Barry was on staff, I asked Barry and John about this. I'm kind of like, why do people go and talk to you guys, but they rarely ever come and talk to me? And John's like, because you're intimidating. I'm like, I'm intimidating? I'm not intimidating. I'm a nice guy. But, you know, his experience on the other side of me with his temperament is, well, you can kind of be intimidating. See, that, that's good for me to know. Because if I don't know that, you can't change something you don't know until you know it. So what's it like to be on the other side of you when it comes to the way that you conduct your words? Speaking of being on the other side of someone, uh, so a couple days a week, I drive a powder truck for Paulson, which I love. I've loved it actually. It's it's been fun. I have no idea where I'm going to go in a day's time, and uh, and I go all over the place. But um, this last week, I, I went to Arapahoe, which I've only been there I think one other time. So I I, I went to uh, Arapahoe, and it wasn't the guy that runs this place; just one of the cement truck drivers. Um, so I, you know, never met these guys. I have no idea who, who they are. And I, and I walk into the, the, the shack and, uh, and give them some paperwork and, and like, I'm not there for five seconds. Like literally I'm giving him a sheet of paper and I'm walking back out to my truck and, and this guy, his first engagement to me in the first 20 seconds was probably 10 F-bombs, and, and I'm, I'm just like, it's nice to meet you, you know, I, I don't know. It's like, talk about no self-awareness of what it's like to be on the other side of you. It's kind of like, you know, the next time I see him, I'm going to, like, give him a bad time. Um, I'm going to come up, because I'm imagining I'm, I'm going to hear a lot more F-bombs. Um, I'm going to be like, I tell you what, I'm going to take a wild guess as to what your favorite word is. You think I could guess it? So anyway, maybe we'll develop a relationship, and uh, and who knows? I don't, you know. But um, you know, what's it like to be on the other side of you? Because words carry weight. They do, and they're not equal weight. And for some of you, um, you're in a position where words left unsaid are just as powerful as ones that are spoken. Like, you're still waiting, and you have been waiting for your whole life. You, you have been waiting for your dad to tell you, I love you. I'm proud of you. And those words that haven't been spoken are powerful. You're waiting. For those powerful words to be spoken, because words and even words that should be spoken but aren't spoken are 
are not only powerful, but they weigh a lot. See, our lives have been shaped by the words spoken to us, over us, at us, about us. And, and I would imagine you could go back in time, if I asked you right now, um, to, to go back and, and in your memory, tell me something that was said to you that stuck. Something that has, you know, been with you ever since that time. And I would imagine some of you might have some, you know, some words that were very constructive and words that were encouraging, words that uh, spoke life into you, and, uh, and, and those have shaped you in unbelievably great ways. But I would imagine the majority of you could probably think of some negative ones that were spoken to you or maybe even some words that you hoped would be spoken but were never spoken to you. So I want to break open and look at just a few verses today. And, uh, and, and Paul's going to encourage us to follow um, Jesus in the way of love. And, uh, and so in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. And, and if you're a man like me, you're probably like, oh, great, Eric. You mean we just got to be soft? You know, our, our words are just like tulips, like we can't say anything hard? Absolutely not. That's not necessarily the way of love. Love says some hard things and is willing to say some hard things. But there is a good way to say hard things. And in fact, it's a it, 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 it's, it, it's true that as you walk with Jesus through the Gospels, Jesus wasn't always, you know what, just, he, he wasn't soft. In fact, you go through our last series together, you find out Jesus wasn't, wasn't soft at all. But there is a way of love. And, and the way that we say it, if you walk out the, the, the doors on your way out, you'll see, what does love require of you? And in terms of your words and the way that you approach the people that are in your household, your, 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 your parents, your children, the people that you go to school with, the people you go to work with, your neighbors, how do you approach them with words that would say, you know what, I am walking in line with the way of love and I am magnifying Christ with the way that I use my words. So he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And if you watch the way Christ loved us, there's what you'll find. Um, If you want to know what the way of love acts like, reacts like, and sounds like, then follow Jesus through the Gospels. And you'll see there's there's times, you know what, he is others-focused. And there are times when he says things that are difficult. There's times when, you know what, he comes alongside somebody. But Jesus' approach in the way that he uses his words is always strategic. It's never haphazard, ever. So in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, Paul, I just want to roll around in this verse 
um, for the remainder of our morning together. He just kind of instructs us in how we should go about using our words. Do not let any unwholesome talk or words come out of your mouths. Don't allow it. Don't let it. Guard it. Don't let any unwholesome words or talk come out of your mouth. What, what do you mean unwholesome? Anything that's stinky, and I'm not talking about your breath, anything that's stinky, distasteful, or offensive. See, to view your mouth as a gate and stand guard so that stinky, distasteful, and offensive words rush the gate, and they will rush the gate, you can shut the gate. Did you see how I said shut up without saying shut up? That was a good approach, right? You're like, wait a second, I think he's playing games with us. Shut the gate, yeah. See, rancher terms right there. All the ranchers are like, oh, I got that. And you know what? A few of those squirrely steers will get past that gate, but someone who's able to sort really well, oh, they're so good. They don't allow them to get past the gate. Be a great sorter of your words. To sort through your words, to, to know which ones you should let go by the gate and out, and which ones, mm, no, we're going to let that go right into the pen. We're going to hold that in the pen. That one's not getting out. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful to which you're like, see, Eric, that's, that's what I'm doing. I, I, I'm just sharing what is helpful. I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. That's what we say. So let me share something with you about being honest. Um, you shouldn't, you, you know, everything that you say should be honest, but you shouldn't share everything that's honest. See, what you share should be true, but you shouldn't share everything that's true. You share everything that's true, you won't have any friends. Right? I mean, you share everything that's true, and it's like, eh. A few of those, maybe you should have sorted off. So being honest is, you know, what I do say is going to be true. These, you know what, aren't helpful but they're true. Okay, they're true, but they're not helpful. Sort them. Put them in the gate. Like, put them in the pen. Leave those in the pen. Don't let those get out. Sort those off. Why? Because they're not helpful. And, and one of the things in our, in our world right now, it's like, I love being real, but there's a point in which, okay, we need to guard a little bit what's coming out. Like, we don't need to share that with everybody because it's not helpful to anyone who's going to hear it. See, I'm afraid that most of us are more dialed into what we want to say rather than what others need to hear. We're more dialed into what we just want to say because that's what we want to say and we're not even probably even listening to understand, we're just waiting for them to shut their gate so we can open our gate and share what it is that we want to share, not necessarily what they need to hear. 
And so Paul's just like, guys, look, if you're not a Jesus follower, then, you know, you could pick and choose. You know, I have no authority to tell you what to do. I, I can't tell you at all. I have no authority whatsoever. But as a Jesus follower, Paul's going to be like, hey, guys, come on. As Jesus followers, we don't get to pick and choose, you know what, the words that we use that, that you know, we realize, oh, that's not helpful. And not only is that not helpful, that's probably pretty offensive, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. We, we, don't, we don't have that choice or that option as Jesus followers because it's not the way of love. So he says, do not let any unwholesome words or talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful. And then he's going to tell us what is helpful. What is helpful then, Paul? What is helpful is the building of others up. So don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, not just tearing them down. But I was just being honest. I know you were being honest, but, but in your honesty and in your approach to your honesty, you let some words pass the gate that didn't build up, that just tore down. And not only do you want to, you know what, make sure that the words are helpful to build others up, but make sure that it's according to their needs. And one of the places of self-awareness for me that, that I, you know what, am a, a work in progress is, uh, you know, with, with my, my children, you know what, Cody, he, he would do anything I asked him to do. It's like, you know what, Cody, I want you to go do that. Yes, sir, I'll go do that. It's like, man, every child should be like this. It's unbelievable, you know. And then Jessica comes along, and I'm like, Jessica, I want you to go do that. Okay, Daddy. Thomas comes along. He's a little bit more stubborn, but not bad. Not bad. And then Shane. And, and, I, and I thought I was using the same approach, because I'm thinking, you know what, Eric, you are superstar dad. Like, what, you tell your kids what to do. They, they just do it. <clears throat> And then Shane comes along, he's, he's wrecking my reputation. Like, <clears throat> like I, you know, I, maybe if I told him louder, maybe if I told him louder, he would, he would go, go with it. And, I, and, and then it's kind of like, what in the, I, I just, I don't know how to build him up. And, and part of me is like, maybe if I tear him down, that will motivate him to do what I want him to do. And... And then somehow or another, he'll know that in the middle of that, I was really wanted to, to build him up. Like, in the end of tearing him down, I want him to be a more responsible individual, which would ultimately be helpful for him. So I'm going to justify not really building him up. And it's really not helpful to his needs. And, and I was just, there was a point which I'm just kind of at a loss because my approach to him and my temperament is, is red. And so I just, you know, I have a direct approach. I feel like it's clear. And uh, Shane, I want you to do this and this and this. I get home. Nope. 
I'm just like, maybe I didn't say it clearly. I thought it was clear. Maybe if I made it clear and then I have a time frame, like I want it done by this time. And inevitably, if he did it, it was just like, it was like last second. And, and then sort of kind of do that. And if I shut him down, which I did lots of times, if I shut him down, over. Like, he is an impenetrable wall when he is shut down. And, uh, and so I'm just like, okay. And really, it wasn't until we kind of learned the temperaments and we kind of went through a series about the temperaments and I, I started to understand how God had wired Shane. It wasn't just that, because here's this super soft feeling, wonderful kid. And for some reason, I can't speak to him in a way that speaks life into him, that builds him up. I just tend to shut him down. And I can't understand. And, and here's the thing, as parents, and especially as fathers, you need to understand, dads, your wives hate you for this, but your words weigh a thousand pounds. And, and so if you take those thousand pound words and, and your approach and you think, you know what, they just need to do this and this and this and it's all, and you don't take the time to have enough self-awareness to understand how you're coming across and how maybe God has wired them and how they receive information and in the way that they receive information, if you don't approach it right, if you don't come about it right, then that's on you. Not on them. And so in trying to understand that, it is the reason Shane and I have a relationship right now, and we have a good one. But we have a good one because there was a point in time in this church when I learned about the temperaments and how God wired things, and and taking enough self-awareness to say, okay, I, I have got to change my approach to build him up according to his need, not just my needs and what I wanted him to do. So you take that into your context, whether it's in your house, whether it's, you know what, at work, wherever that might be where you're struggling in communication with someone else. So... Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So in order to do this, we have to take the long walk of empathy. The long walk of empathy is to go and put yourself in their shoes to try to understand what's it like to be on the other side of me. When, when I say this in this way, what's it, what does it come off like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? See, there's a right way to say hard things, and we all need to hear hard things. I'm not saying don't say hard things. We, we need to say hard things, but there's a right way to say them. So there's three dynamics that, that I want to go through, and, and we're just going to cover the first one this week, and we'll look at the others 
in coming weeks. But the first of three dynamics, words are not equally weighted. Negative words weigh way more than positive words. They do not weigh the same. It's kind of like the, the husband that, you know, gets married and, and he tells his wife, he's like, you know what, honey, I'll tell you today I love you. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. Okay, well, that's probably not going to go well, right? So negative words weigh, way more than positive words. So load up on the positive, constructive words because these build a foundation of trust and care and it's like you earn the right to be heard. If, if you're in a relationship, whether you're at work, whether it's, you know, classmates um, at school, and, and you haven't earned the right to be heard, and you're just spouting things off that are honest, and maybe they're true, but you haven't earned the right to be heard, close the ears. I guarantee you, every single time. So portion control. And it takes approximately five to nine positive comments to counterbalance one negative comment. And if you're, you know, a dad in, in, in this room, um, I'm just telling you, and maybe you're just, you're known as a man of few words. And I would imagine some of the few words that you say could be criticism, could be, well, I'm just being honest. So, in that self-awareness of how you are wired, you especially, because it might take 35 to 50 positive comments for you to one negative comment. That's why every single one of us can think back to something that was said to us negatively immediately, because those stick really easily. So watch the words that are barbed. They're barbed with criticism. They're barbed with cynicism. They're barbed with comparison. Oh, honey. Yeah, man, good job on getting a couple A's. (laughs) Your sister got all A's. Ooh, careful. Careful. When we start comparing... That, 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 it's, it's coming across negative. Cutting sarcasm. Be careful. Be careful. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you, you can't joke around with one another, um, but just be, be very, very, very careful with cutting sarcasm. Because what sarcasm can be what sarcasm can be, and as parents, when you use sarcasm for your kids, here's the thing. You are taking, taking a nugget of truth, and you're dressing it up with humor, and you're jabbing it right in the gut of the other person. And typically, it's in a group, so they have no recourse, and everyone kind of laughs about it, but you just jabbed them sarcasm. 
And I guarantee you, it is not constructive, and they don't ever need it. See, no one, I, I have never, ever heard of this happening. No one traces the root of their problems back to too much encouragement. You know, all my problems, they started back when dad was like, oh, just way too encouraging. Mom, just over the top with words that spoke life into me. And it's like, what is that? Nope, never heard it. Right? So where do you have work to do? And who hopes you'll get to work soon? Crossing. What, what would it look like if we led the way in this? What would it look like if we just did this? What would it look like if we magnified Christ with our words? That we didn't have different words at church and different words from church to home and different words from church to home to work. What if they were all the same? What, what would it look like if we magnified Christ with our words in every context that we were in all through the week. Would it make a difference? Oh, man. Huge. Did you realize the power of your words are shaping someone right now or a group of someone's? Come on. Come on. Let's follow Jesus well with this. Let's lead the way what this looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, boy, words are powerful, powerful things. And Lord, uh, some of us are natural encouragers in this room. Many of us are not. Many of us, it's, it, we have to be reminded and we need to be intentional about being encouraging. So, Father, I pray that however this lands on us, that now that we know what we should do, I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. And as we go through this series, if there's course corrections that need to be make, made in our life, I just pray that you'd give us the courage to do it, that we would be consistent in, in the words that we use in building others up whether we're at church, whether we're at home, or whether we're at work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.